Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads Community Church, our vision is to awaken the city of Pittsburgh and surrounding areas by creating cool places to experience God in local neighborhoods throughout Pittsburgh and beyond. Now here is this week's message. How many of you guys have seen, uh, there's this TV show called uh, Million Dollar Rooms. Anybody seen that? Well, a couple of people. Okay. I can always count on Nick, but thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, it, it's this really awesome show, and um, uh, it actually just talks about these rooms that people paid crazy, ridiculous amounts of money uh, to have these rooms created in their house. And it's just a room. It's not million-dollar homes. It's just one room. And before we continue, I just want to show you a couple of these rooms because they are just outrageous. Uh, it's called Million Dollar Rooms, and I forget the host's name, but he just goes in and looks at one room in, like, the house, in each of these houses. And in this particular room, I don't know if you guys can see it, but uh, up here in the corner, those are workout machines, okay? Uh, and this down here is the pool, and the direction, like, you guys out there, the way you're looking at this room, uh, what room of the house do you think this is? It's the bedroom. He had the pool and, like, all his workout equipment put in his bedroom. Uh, but that's before he even goes out to the kitchen and kind of makes you wonder, what does the bathroom look like? Like, for real. Uh, there's this other room, uh, and this is just a, a what you would expect a game room to look like. You know, there's, there's pool table and, and, and card tables, and what we can't see is, like, all this video area. But the interesting thing is right there in the center... That's a fully functioning bar that seats as many people as you would expect to see if you walk into like Quaker Steak and Lube or TGI Fridays or wherever. It's like a fully equipped bar in the middle of his game room. Most people have like three stool area and, and, and that's about it. Uh, this other room, which I thought was amazing, this is the boathouse. Okay? Now, normally that would, wouldn't be as astounding as you would think because most people that are in the boats, they have a little boathouse. This is a part of the house. It's not separate from the house. And if I remember correctly, it's either off the living room or the game room as a part of the boathouse. Right? And it kinda, it, you can't help but wonder if, like I said, if these rooms look like that, what does the rest of the house look like? Or just the bathroom or the bath mat for that matter. You know, how much are they spending on the bath mat? Uh, but I bring this up because we're continuing this series that we're doing called Supernatural, uh, where we're looking at the supernatural aspects of God. And so far, we have looked at uh, the Trinity and talked about God who exists as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a couple of weeks. Uh, we talked about angels and the fact that they exist to serve God, that they are created beings, and we are not to worship any created beings, uh, but in serving God, uh, they were also created to minister to us. Uh, and last week we talked about um, forgiveness, which is a, most people don't think about it, but it is a, it takes a supernatural act of God to really allow you to forgive, to kind of let go without holding on to some aspect of the anger or resentment or whatever. Uh, and this week, uh, we're just talking about heaven. And I brought those homes up because as beautiful and as grand as those homes are, they pale in comparison to what God has in store for his people. And I know we're tired and it's early, but somebody should say amen. 
Yeah, God has so much in store for us that will just knock the socks off for any of those rooms or homes uh, that we've seen. Um, so we're going to talk about it a little bit. Uh, and I think it's important because Jesus made crystal clear that I am going to prepare a place for you. So we're going to kind of talk about that place uh, that Jesus said he was going to prepare. Don't pull your Bibles out yet, but in John chapter 14, uh, verses 2 to 3, he said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And depending upon which version of the Bible you have, how they translated these words, uh, a lot of them translate kind of differently, but with the same emphasis. I think one, uh, the King James says, uh, there are many mansions. And where he says, in my father's house, it's literally a word that's interpreted as property. It's not just in my house. It's not just in my home. It's literally in my domain, all that I own, in my property uh, in heaven. And he says, there are many rooms. And that word uh, can be translated rooms or mansions or dwellings or abodes. And I think they translate it mansions to uh, denote the enormity of what God has in store for us. And he says, I would have, uh, if it were not so, I would have told you. And he says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you or to make ready a place for you. In, in my mind, when I read this in Floyd speak, I read it as Jesus saying, in my father's house, on my father's property, in the domain in heaven, there, are, there is so much space that I am going to prepare a place for you to come and dwell with me forever. That's, that's pretty much what he's saying. So um, what I want to do today is answer, in my mind, the obvious questions that come up, uh, which is, where did Jesus go? And a more kind of like important question where people focus on, which I will not answer today, <laughs> but we will at a future date, is when are we going with him? Because that's kind of key, because you might want to be ready. But today I just want to focus on the aspect of where did Jesus go, the aspect of heaven. And so we're going to look at two things. Um, we're going to look at the physical aspect of heaven. When I say the physical, not how many trees are there. Not is the street paved with gold, because we get a, a, a pretty good picture of a portion of that if you look into the book of Revelation. Um, but what is heaven like physically? What should we expect? But then also the culture, the cultural aspect of heaven. Like, what do people do there? How do they act? What kind of things um, should we be, uh, are we going to have to change the way that we interact now? And here's the thing, there's a lot of books, a lot of movies, and a lot of kind of stuff that focuses on did my mic just go off? Okay. That focuses on heaven. Wow, it's kind of going in and out. Is that better? Check, check, check. Okay. That focus on heaven. How many of you guys have seen any movies that talk about, like, we talked about the angel movies. They talk about heaven, and here's what heaven is like, and all this kind of stuff. And are there pearly gates? Is there somebody there booking registration when you come in? Like, you know, hotels.com or heaven.com or whatever. We don't know. But, um... If you're looking actually for a really good book that gives a lot of insight, but it reads like a textbook, uh, there's a man by the name of Randy Alcorn, I think his name is, and he wrote a book called Heaven, and he took every verse he could find in Scripture to create this picture of what heaven looks like, what we're going to be doing while we're there. Uh, but really quick, I just want to look at a couple of verses that give us some insight into what's going on in heaven. The first is in Job. 
Uh, and again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a lot of verses, so I'm going to put them up here. Um, but write these down, take notes, so that you can go back, you can read them in context, because I want you to see I'm not making this stuff up, okay? Uh, but in the book of Job, which a lot of you guys are familiar with, in chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, it says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And then in verse, uh, excuse me, chapter two, excuse me, it says in verse one, on another day, or in some versions it says again, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them to present himself before him. Now there's only a couple of places in scripture where we, who are human, are given a look from down here looking up into what heaven looks like. There's lots of places where either an angel or where God describes, here is what heaven is like. But there's only a couple of places where from the lower humanity looking up, heaven is opening, you get to see something actually taking place in there. This is one of the few places. And physically, what you see going on is that uh, heaven is a place of order. Right? Uh, the angels come to present themselves. And the language um, is kind of, and I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with this, but in my mind, because I'm ex-military, what comes to mind is a muster formation. And those were the formations that you see in the movies where everybody is lined up and there's a commander in front. And, you know, he's asking each platoon to report in. And they're saying, you know, so many people are present, so many people are absent, one person AWOL, and they go down the line. And it's, it's the idea of taking stock of all the resources that are available so that you can go and execute whatever the plan is for that military operation for the day or for that military operation. And it gives the insight that there is an order to things that happen in heaven. And if you look, and we won't turn to it now, but if you look in the book of Colossians, it literally says that everything, and I know science, uh, this, this is mind-boggling, but everything down to, it doesn't use the word DNA, but everything is held together by Jesus Christ. It's not like he spun the world into existence and the earth is just out there spinning and we're just walking around. It literally, what most theologians, as they read through this, understand it is, and it meshes up with science, that are the, the molecules and atoms that hold everything in the universe together, the reason they're holding it together is because of Jesus Christ. That there is an order to everything that we see happening in the universe. And scientifically, if you think about, um, um, you know, the science of, of tornadoes or hurricane or oxygen or rain or how all this stuff happens in the, uh, the, the intricate relationship between natural events that occur and, and celestial events that occur, uh, all of that is, doesn't happen without God's knowledge. And there is an, an order to everything. And every, uh, Jesus says that every hair on our heads, even when we cut it and it grows back, even when we cut it and it doesn't grow back, that every hair on our heads is numbered. He's aware of every single one. Every blade of grass on the planet is accounted for. Because there is an order to what takes place in heaven. There will not be this random set of nilly-willy, I can't believe I just used that phrase, of just random things that are occurring where we don't know what's going on and we're hoping for the best and we hope things get better or we're afraid that things might get worse. There will be a, a, an order to the way that things occur. All of heaven has an order to it. The problem is earth does not. Things on earth happen randomly. Randomly. 
some that are orchestrated by man, some that are natural events that are outside of man's um, ability to control, some that are natural events that happen because of things that man has done to the earth in the past. But in heaven, everything is ordered, and it's ordered by God. Right? Now, um, another glimpse that we're given, and again, this is a familiar passage we looked at, is in Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, and we talked about seraphs when we talked about angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, so heaven is not only a place of order. Uh, there's two things. First of all, it's a place where God rules because um, where he saw the throne of God and his train. Now, we know that God is omnipresent, all right? He doesn't just exist here, and he doesn't have to say, I want to show up at Crossroads, so let me hurry up and run over there, and I want to show up at Jefferson United Methodist, so I'm going to run over there. Oh, wow, they meet at the same time. There's a conflict. He is everywhere, okay? We all are aware of that. But the seat of his authority and power is in heaven. And if you look in the Psalms, it talks about the fact that heaven is, his throne is in heaven, but the earth is his footstool. The seat, uh, and it's not that he's only found in heaven, but the seat of his throne, the seat of his authority is in heaven. So heaven is the place from which physically, from which God rules, although he is not physically bound to heaven. Does that make sense? It's also the place where God's temple is located, and it's the place where worship is centered. Now, it's not that we should look and we should center our worship and in our minds say, I'm only going to worship in heaven because God is everywhere. And it's not that we won't be able to worship God until we get to heaven. But again, it's the seat from where that worship of God, because that's the seat of his authority, uh, where it comes out. Now, in the book of um, Corinthians, it tells us that we are God's temple. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, it says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple. Now, it's critical because he's not talking to everybody. He's talking to you who have allowed God's Holy Spirit to come into you. You then become the temple of God. You then become a seat and a place of God's worship. Not that we should worship ourselves. That's not what I'm trying to say. But we become a seat and a place of God's worship. And he says, you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. You then become a sacred temple, a place of God's worship. He goes on and he says in chapter 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? It's the place where God's spirit comes to dwell in you. And he says, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. That word honor can literally be translated, praise God with your body. Your body now becomes literally a place and a way for you to worship God. All right, so it's the place where um, God rules. It's the place where um, order occurs. It's a place where worship occurs. But it's also a place of eternal rest. This is our ultimate destination. And I'm sure you guys have either heard or read, and if you haven't, let me be the first to tell you that this is not our home. 
once you become a follower of Christ, you become like an ambassador. And I know a lot of people just shed a tear because they love Pittsburgh and we want to live here forever. And the black and gold, long live the black and gold. Yes, I, you know, it's great. But this is not our home. This is not our final destination. This is not the place where we're going to end up. This is a transitional place before we get to the eternal place, which is in heaven with God. And if you read in, I'm just going to share a quick verse from Revelation. <clears throat> Revelation 22, it says, No longer when we get to this place, this final destination in heaven, will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There won't be, because right now, for all of us, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, so if I'm speaking out of turn, forgive me, but I'm sure for all of us, there is this little bit of, yes, I worship God, yes, I love God, but we never get to see him. It, It makes it, you know, just a little bit harder to fully put your trust and faith in every now and then that doubt comes in because we never get to see him. All of that will be washed away because we will spend eternity in his presence. He goes on to say that there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. So this is a transitional place, but physically we're going to end up spending eternity with God in a place of order, in a place where we're going to spend eternity with him, in a place where we're not going to have to wake up and head on Sunday morning to worship, but that physical aspect of worship will be ever-present because we'll constantly be in the presence of God, all right? So physically, we'll be able to do all that, but Jesus gives us another picture of a cultural aspect of what's going to happen in heaven. Um, And I'm going to ask you, if you have a Bible, take it out and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 6. And I know many of you guys are familiar with this particular passage of Scripture, uh, but I want you to read along with me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. And I'm going to read through it first, and then I'm going to go back and kind of walk through it step by step. And we've, again, this is a verse that we've talked about. Many of you guys grew up quoting this verse. Uh, you hear it read at either weddings or other spiritual events or whatever, but um, I'm going to go back and talk about it. But first, let me read through it quickly. In Matthew chapter 6, most of you are familiar with it as being called the Lord's Prayer. It's not really the Lord's Prayer. It's the Lord telling us how we should pray. It's our prayer. It's what we're supposed to pray. And then uh, I'm going to just drop down to verse 9. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to be praying that his will and all the cultural aspects of heaven, everything that goes on up there, that it would be done down here. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, really quickly, I'm going to walk through uh, a lot of this because, let me go back. Whoops, sorry. I'm playing tag with the slides. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 13, he starts off, he says, after this manner, and I'm I'm going to read through it in King James because how many grew up in King James? 
like it's a place. We grew up in King James, but we grew up hearing these kind of things in, in the King James Version. So um, it says, after this manner, therefore pray ye. So again, this is what we should be praying. It's not that we're to repeat this prayer and just throw it out, but this is what we should be praying. This is how we are to be asking God to intercede in our lives. And it says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And which art in heaven, again, that's not physically where he's located, but that's the seat of his authority and power. Uh, And here in your Bible, next to verse 9, write the word unity. If you're one of the people who likes to write in your Bible and doesn't think it's a sin. But write the word unity. Because the our Father, Jesus is talking to all those people who choose to follow him and choose to accept God. We are supposed to be unified because it's not my father. It's not Andrew's father. It's not Chuck or Marty or John's or, or, or Geneva's father. He is our father. Now think about this, and I've talked about this before. The church is one of the most segregated organizations on the face of the planet. There are literally hundreds of thousands of different denominations that call themselves followers of God, for lack of a better term or way of describing that. But think about this. Those of you who have more than one child, think how you would feel if you have you know, a son and a daughter and they separate and stop talking to each other, stop spending time with each other, and stop coming to family reunions solely because... They each say, well, I have the right way to love mom and dad. Does that make any sense at all? That your son or daughter, it's not that they don't like each other. It's not that they're angry with each other. It's not that they're fighting over who should get the car or whatever. They're just saying, well, I choose to love mom and dad this way. And then one says, well, nope, you're wrong. This is the way we're supposed to love mom and dad. So they separate and don't spend any time with each other, don't connect with each other. That's, that's, that's what has happened to the church. I'm not even talking about the ones that separate because they say, well, it's not mom and dad, and they call it a different thing. The ones that say, yes, we acknowledge God is our father, but we're not going to be associated with you because we choose to love him this way, and you choose to love him that way. And just as you would be heartbroken that that's what your children are doing, God is heartbroken that that's what the church is doing. But he tells us, and when we go into our separate houses of worship to worship him, we all say he is our father. And we're supposed to be unified, but instead we say separated. But when we're in heaven, there won't be a Baptist church or Presbyterian church or a Methodist church or, or, or any of these other denominations. There's just going to be the church standing side by side in a spirit of unity and fellowship proclaiming that he is our father. All right, so uh, there's the culture of unity, which heaven is a culture of unity. Uh, and then he goes on to say, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And, and here's the thing. We should be praying in heaven, God's will is done. In heaven, there, there's no one in heaven that says, you know what? I know God says do it this way, but I choose to do it this way. Or let's get all the people together and let's have a board meeting. And at our biannual or semiannual meeting, we'll determine what's the right way to do God's will. It's just done. And can you remember, how do you parents, can you remember when you used to, you know, tell your kids, you know, 
go clean up your room. And even though they would mouth off, where were they heading to clean up their room? Come sit down to dinner. And even though they're complaining, they would come sit down to dinner. And, and, and now it's a state for those of you who have teens and for those of you with the younger kids, something to look forward to, to where you tell them to do something. And instead of that, it's that, well, why do I have to eat now? I ate then. Why are we having this at dinner? We had that. Can I just eat at Sally's house? Uh, Joe is going to buy us dinner. I'm heading out. I'll get something later. Well, I don't have to worry. It's, it's just a constant, I want to do it my way. And we're supposed to pray that God's will which is already done in heaven, be done on earth. And the only way, like we were praying earlier, the only way that's going to be done, we're the physical manifestation of God's will being done. The church. So if people see the church separated and fighting, what is their picture of heaven? Separation and fighting. If people see the church being hypocritical or money-hungry, what is their picture of what's taking place in heaven? It's a place where there's this greedy dictator named God who's hypocritical and just wants all your stuff. But if people see the church being unified and loving, then what is their picture of God? That he must be a glorious, loving God. And our role is to pray and portray uh, that God's will is done. So it's a place where God's will is done. And then in verse 11, it says, Give us this day our daily bread. See, heaven is also a place where, it, 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 where in the verse where we read, it said there's not going to be any night, there's not going to be any sun. It's just going to be us with God forever. And there is a place in heaven where all your needs will be met. It's a place where God gives provision. Everything we need will be provided for. There's a verse that says every tear will be wiped away. Every, there won't be any hungry people. We won't have to have food banks. We won't have to have um, shelters for battered women. We won't want have to have uh, rehab centers. Every need, anything that we could possibly need, will be provided for. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're supposed to provide a picture of here down on earth. Now, I mentioned earlier about the crew and, and, and this woman who, um, who said, hey, can you guys come do this thing in July? And here's, here's what happened, all right? Judy, years ago, had an old phone number when we first started the crew. She has since changed her phone number. So when she went to meet with people and talk to them, she would say, call me on my cell phone. Let me know what you need. I'll come out and meet with you and all this stuff. This woman who, I was it two or three years ago, Last year, okay, whenever she contacted and, you know, Judy went out and talked with her and met with her and crew went out and did some stuff for her. Well, we have since changed all the, the, the um, published material that we hand out with Judy's new phone number. This woman picked up, went looking. She said, I want the crew to come out. She went looking, called the old phone number because it was on the documentation she had. The phone number had since gone to some other guy. He just happened to be someone who is a maintenance guy for hire. He does contracting work. He gets calls from people that says, can you fix this, can you fix that handyman type of work? So she called, he answers. She says, hey, can you guys come out and trim my hedges, thinking she's talking to the crew. He says, when do you want me to come out, thinking he's going to get paid? So he shows up, he does all the work, and afterwards she's like, thank you, because we don't charge anything for it. And he's like, 
that's not it because he's expecting to get paid. So after everything is said and done, and once the police left, I won't tell you all about that, but <laughs> after everything is said and done, there was a, a call on the answering machine, uh, and it wasn't a, a violent thing. The guy's just like, why aren't you paying me? And she's like, why should I pay you and all this stuff? Uh, uh, but there was a call on the answering machine from the guy's supervisor. And he left a message saying, hey, I understand you guys do this thing called a crew, and um, this guy went out and did work on your behalf. We're just wondering if you could somehow kind of compensate him for the work that he's done. Now, I didn't get the message till the next day, so I called the guy back, and he said, hey, don't worry about it. I made a donation on your behalf to the guy. They normally, normally charge, I guess, $20 an hour, and he, I guess he did three hours worth of work, so he wanted $60. The guy gave him like $45 out of his own pocket, and he said, I made a donation on your behalf, on behalf of your church. I said, well, that's great. However, we don't do this on a donation basis. We just do it because there's a need, and if God gives us the human resources, then we go out and meet the need. And he was shocked because churches don't do that today. And people don't expect that the church is a place where you can go and have your needs met. And then, of course, once we were done, I tried to sell him a T-shirt and all that stuff. But he was just in awe because he was like, what church is this? Where are you guys located? Where do you guys go to? And I gave him our website information because churches don't do that today. But it's what we were created to do because we're supposed to be a picture of heaven. And in heaven, God provides for us. So when he gives us resources, we're supposed to meet the needs of the people around us. And heaven is a place where provisions are taken care of. But heaven is, and I won't go into this in detail, but it's also a place where uh, forgiveness is given because uh, in verse 12 it says, as many of you guys are familiar with, and forgive us our debts, or some of you know it as our transgressions, as we forgive our debtors. Heaven is a place, it's a culture of forgiveness where no one is walking around with any guilt, with any baggage, with any issues. No one is holding on to it. Not only am I not holding on to it, I'm not loading it all on you. And I won't go into that because we talked about it uh, in the video last week. How many of you guys were here for the video last week? All right. That video was, I think, it was like nine or ten years old. Okay. So um, if, how many of you guys noticed how repetitive I was? Don't be ashamed. You can raise your hands. It's okay. Okay. Because that was like, I think, maybe within the first year to six months of actually starting to uh, uh, preach, and it was quite repetitive. And I also still have that shirt and those pants. Uh, it was in, uh, you guys know Michael's Marauders? It's at the church they're at now, um, Cross Current Ministries. It wasn't in that facility that they're in now, but it was at the, uh, from Cross Current Ministries. I don't have the shoes because Christy threw those out. She wasn't forgiving in that area. But um, we had so much positive response because a lot of people do not, do not connect forgiveness as a spiritual thing. A lot of people think when I say I forgive you, it's done. And the fact that they walk away holding on to all that stuff, days, months, and decades later. And we had several people who committed their lives to Christ based solely on the fact that they didn't know that they could be free. 
some that needed to experience forgiveness and others just that needed to let some stuff go that they were holding on to. Because heaven is a place where we're going to experience forgiveness. And lastly, in verse 13, it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And in my mind, this is one of the most powerful verses in Scripture because it gives the reason why all of that is possible why we're provided for in heaven, why we're forgiven in heaven, why we experience the level of worship in heaven. It's because it's God's kingdom and it's his power and it's for his glory. And it's the place where God is glorified. It's the place where he is lifted up. It's the place where we get to experience in a corporate setting. Each and every one of us can go on our own. We can stay in bed and worship God. We can be in our car worshiping God to music. We can be praying over dinner and worshiping God. We can do that on our own. But when we come together as the church, as a multitude of people, especially in different ages and ranges and from different cultural backgrounds, and we come together and put everything else aside and just worship God, it glorifies him like nothing else you can imagine. And when people see that, whether they're people who want to know God or people who even deny that God is real, they can't deny that something supernatural is going on that can, that, that, that can wipe away uh, age differences and race differences and cultural differences and financial differences and just bring people together in a spirit of worship to glorify God. It is extremely powerful, and we don't do enough of it. So as the band comes up, here's what I'm going to ask us to do. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to read through this prayer. And I know that many of you have, have read this before. And I know that many of you have prayed this individually. And sometimes you've even read it corporately. I'm not going to ask us to read through it. I'm going to ask us to pray it. And if you have it memorized and you need to close your eyes, that's fine. If you need to bow your head, that's fine. Whatever you want to do as we are doing this together as God's people to glorify him, think about everything that we just discussed and that that's what we're headed towards. That's where we're going. That's what we're going to experience every day, every moment in the presence of a holy God. So just join me as we pray through uh, this prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God, we just want to acknowledge just how beautiful, how glorious, how wonderful, how awesome, and how great you are. And we just want to lift your name up this morning. Amen.